You know, it's almost like there's no highs in the speakers this morning. I don't know what the deal is. I can't tell. I hope it gets better. Maybe my voice can be better understood. We'll see. Um, so I was, uh, we were over at my dad's doing some yard work on, uh, on Monday, and uh, I was doing everything I could not to paint. Uh, so was Zach. We were doing everything we could. So there was stuff that needed to be done, right? But I got a hold of this leaf blower, and it wasn't, a, you know, kind of a lame electric one like this. Uh, it was a gas-powered one where I had the thing on my back, and there was an actual button to get it to really go. I mean, and I was, I was playing with it, and I was putting it in people's faces, and I was, I was uh, blowing it at my brother, and of course everybody's laughing and that sort of thing, and I said, wow, this thing is so, this thing is so powerful, it unzipped his pants, because his pants were unzipped, and I didn't notice that until I blew it with the, uh, with the leaf blower, but uh, you know, those times when we're unaware of something can be awfully embarrassing sometimes. You know, you walk out of a bathroom with toilet paper coming out the pant leg of your pants or, or something like that. Those times when, uh, when we are unaware of things can be uh, completely and totally embarrassing. It, it can also put us in compromising situations, can't it? When, we, when we're unaware of something, we're unaware of a danger or we're unaware of a risk that we're taking, uh, we're unaware of some actions that somebody else is, is doing which could put us in peril or, or could also embarrass us. Um, the, the worst kind of unawareness, of course, is that which does, in fact, put us in danger. And, and for some, um, they, they, either, they either just don't notice it and it passes them and nothing happened to them, or they don't, they don't notice it and it's too late. And um, they get caught unaware, I, it, which brought to my mind this week uh, what happened to Payne Stewart, who was a, a professional golfer. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. He was, uh, he was flying from somewhere back east to Texas to uh, put his name on a golf course that they were going to make in his name. And there were uh, five other people on board, including the pilots. And um, somewhere between uh, Florida and Texas, a, a, uh, air traffic control couldn't get a hold of the plane. They couldn't contact them, so they, they actually scrambled an F-16 to go up and and uh, look and see if they could figure out what was going on with this plane that was continuing to fly uh, at, a, at a straight course, a straight heading, um, at, a, at, a, at an altitude. And when the, when the F-16 pulled up, he, he looked above the plane, below the plane, and beside the plane. There was nothing wrong with the airplane. It was in perfectly good shape, other than the windows were frosted over, and there wasn't anybody, you know, looking out the windows. So the conclusion was that all on board were dead, the plane continued to fly on its own, and something had happened, either it, it slowly depressurized and, and everybody just kind of went to sleep and died, or, or something suddenly happened so they couldn't respond to it. Um, there's lots of theories about what happened, but essentially uh, what, what can happen is... Uh, the oxygen ceases to come in or it's slowly depressurized and they're not even aware of it. They just kind of go to sleep. Carbon monoxide poisoning, it's the same thing. A family is asleep in their home at night and, a, and the heat exchange cracks in their furnace and it fills their house full of carbon monoxide and everybody never wakes up. Because they are unaware of, of a danger. And Paul, as we, as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, 
Um, we are going to see today something that, that we can become unaware of in our own lives that, that can in turn be incredibly destructive. And, and we should want to be aware of this, but, but so many times we, we just try to be ignorant about it or we don't want to know, uh, thinking that somehow that's better or easier and, and really in reality it's not. You see, if they had known that the cabin was depressurizing, they could have, you know, when you get on an airplane and they say, you know, in case of sudden depressurization, oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling, you know, pull the thing to start the flow of oxygen and, and put it on your face. If they had known that in the plane, they could have put on the supplemental oxygen, the pilots could have descended to a safe altitude and everybody would have been just fine. But because they were unaware of what was happening, they all died. And, uh, you know, Payne Stewart's story is incredible. Uh, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, um, his, his golf uh, game was kind of renewed, his family was renewed, and uh, he, was, he was headed in a good direction. And, uh, uh, and then it all ended on that day in 1999, somewhere in South Dakota, when the plane finally ran out of fuel and uh, crashed. So, turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we are going to begin uh, looking through this. Now, sometimes this unawareness, and we're, we're going to be talking about uh, Paul's going to be confronting us with a couple things in, in chapter 5, but sometimes our unawareness is because... Uh, because we're not a follower of Jesus Christ. We, we don't know the truth. We've never been exposed to the truth. Um, we don't know his name. We don't know what he did for us, how much he loves us, how much we've been forgiven by him. And, uh, and so we just live our lives unaware. There, there are many, many people in our world today who don't know Jesus Christ, and they're just living their life, making decisions on a daily basis. That's just how, they, how the world does. And we need to recognize that, and we need to understand that, and we need to, to have the same sort of grace and patience that Jesus has for us with them as, as he does with us. We, we need to remember that. Um, but Paul here is confronting in his first letter to the Corinthians something that the church knew. The church knew this was wrong. They are followers of Jesus Christ. He is addressing the church, not those outside of the church, and, and, he say, and they're simply ignoring uh, these behaviors. And uh, in, in fact, Paul is saying, why and how could you think this behavior is okay? And, 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 and it is in the face of us too, I believe, in our culture today uh, and how we live. Now, um, again, to, to understand, for those of you who are just joining us this morning, um, the Corinthian church, it's about five years old, it's in, in the city of Corinth, and uh, it's a Greek city, it's a port city, it's also home of the temple of Aphrodite, um, and, and thousands of prostitutes who, um, about the um, sort of, uh, well, it's, it's a form of worship, right to Aphrodite, these prostitutes at night would go down and ply their wares to everyone. And so we need to recognize that that's where the gospel bloomed. That's where these people were saved from. They're now a part of the church, and they're growing and learning and being taught, but still in the midst of all of this in this city. 
The, the, uh, the influences are all over the place. And, and they're living in the midst of this, just like we are in our culture, with influences, negative influences, all over the place. And, and again, they find themselves falling back into their, their worshiping self-satisfaction. They're worshiping sex in many different forms. It was big business in the city. They're falling back into that. And Paul says, you were once involved with this, but you've been saved by grace. What are you thinking? Their lives have been transformed, but they're slipping back into their old ways. So the Corinthian church was made up of Christ followers, and they're being sucked back into it. And, and this is, in my opinion, huge potential for us in our world today. To fall into a laissez-faire attitude of what's going on in our midst, with our friends and our neighbors and our family members, as well as what's going on in our own culture. I mean, God will forgive me anyway, right? I mean, I can make this terrible decision, and then after I make this terrible decision, later on I can ask Jesus to forgive me, and he will. And that's true. But Paul says in Romans, so, so that the grace of God may abound, should we just go on sinning and doing whatever we want? No. There's not life in that. We, we need to make good decisions, and Paul says, look, here, you need to be aware of this, and this is your first point this morning. Paul makes the Corinthians, and I believe us as well, aware of the problem. It's awareness of the problem. Look there at verse 1 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. And our response to that initially is, wow, I, I can check out the rest of this sermon because that's talking about incest that's detestable to me, just as detestable as it is to God. I don't have to worry about that. So what else do you got for me, Pastor Dave, this morning here? Uh, well, Paul further explains in verse 11, if you look down there at verse 11, Paul says, anyone who calls himself a brother, that's a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. And I want to remind all of us here or watching or listening, Paul is, again, conf I, I understand that we may have people who are watching this morning who are, are not Christ followers. Maybe this is new information to you. Maybe you've never heard this before. I, I want us to know that Paul is talking about people who are followers of Jesus Christ. He's confronting brothers and sisters in Christ. Followers in, uh, of Jesus, and as followers of Jesus, we need to be aware of our physical propensity to, to the sin of immorality. I mean, from the beginning of time, okay, God created us male and female. Um, he created us for relationship. He wired us this way. Relationship with him and relationship with others. He was incredibly creative in how he made our bodies and our desires and our hormones. It, it was all made, and we know, we can read back to Genesis chapter 1. He said, after he created humans, he said, it is very good. Very good. But he also gave us rules of engagement, so to speak. He also said there are, are things that, that you need to do, there's things that you need to say yes to and no to in order for this relationship to operate in the way that I have created it to be operated in. 
And many of those are outlined in, in the Bible. And Paul says here, again, these are Christians, that these are Christian men who are having a relationship with their father's wife while their father is still alive. And Paul says, even the pagans aren't doing this. Even the Greeks aren't doing this. What are you thinking? Now, the Greek word here for immorality is pornea, which in Corinth had the literal meaning of resorting to prostitutes. Okay, in the time, that's what it meant. And as we know, this was prevalent in Corinth surrounding the worship and temple of Aphrodite. Immorality today, because of consistent and prevalent uses in other places in, in the Bible, our own language, of course, gets the word porn from this Greek word, uh, refers to any sexual behavior that goes against God's word. This includes premarital, extramarital, and unnatural sexual intercourse. Those are all included in there. I mean, those in the church like to point to homosexuality and say, look how wrong and evil that is. And it is. But so is lusting after another man's wife. That is immoral. That is part of the sin of immorality. And, and I'm telling you, sex seems to have become one of Satan's biggest tools in our world today. Uh, it, it seems to permeate everything that we do. It's, it, it is such a part of, of, of us as God's creation that Satan has twisted it so terribly to be something that it's really not. Our television shows, our movies, our music, all the people that bring us those things are permeated with it. It, it doesn't take long for a song to go from just a relationship to being in bed. I mean, listen to popular music these days. Popular music from my day. We want to be honest about this, this whole thing. Um, we must become aware of the power that we can give our sexuality over our lives. Over our hearts, over our bodies, and over our minds. We must take seriously what Paul says here. Uh, I saw this news report this week. I took a screenshot of it. Human trafficking in America among worst in the world. In America, what human trafficking today isn't about slavery or forcing somebody else to work for you, is it? It's about sex. The majority of the human trafficking, from children to women unaware, has to do with sex. Sexual immorality. And Paul says, look, um, you need to be aware of this sin. And, and then he says this, look in verse 2, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out your fellowship, put out of your fellowship the man who did this? It's the sin of arrogance. Uh, arrogance, of course, lacks humility. Uh, it's prideful. It's full of pride. It's full of selfishness. There are entire denominations in our country today who are flaunting sin in the name of love. And we need to be sure, we need to be aware, we need to be um, diligent in seeking the Word of God ourselves. So that we are being true to his word. So that we're not pointing the finger at others to remove the, the focus from ourselves and, and the things that we're trying to do. The things that we're trying to justify. 
I mean, they're condoning it, they're justifying it in the name of love, but the word of God is very clear. Yes, he loves us dearly, and he loves you dearly. Yes, he loves everyone. The Bible's clear about that. And yes, sin is real. And there are behaviors that God hates. Scripture is clear. One of those is sexual immorality. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. If we live this long enough and we tell people that it's okay long enough and suppress the truth, wickedness will become the norm and we just all follow along. Let me remind us, because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. There are lots of things that are legal in this country that should not be. And we need to be aware of that. Romans chapter 1, verses 25 through 27 says this. Again, it's God's word. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's idolatry. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. It's God's word. I don't know how you read it any differently than that is sin. It's wrong, and we need to be aware of it. even though it goes against behavior that people want to justify and condone and normalize. It is wrong and it's arrogant to flaunt it. In fact, Paul says, it should break your hearts. It should break your heart when somebody is living in a way that does not give them life, that does not give them true life. It, it, may, it may satisfy the sexual, physical aspect of their life for a period of time, but ultimately, it will end in death. Paul says we should be humble and repentant, not full of pride and contempt for those who are trying to lead us in the way that we should go. And Paul is focusing on sexual immorality here more than other sins here, but let's not forget that sin in general is a big deal to God. It is a big deal to him. Idolatry, slander, drunkenness, stealing from others. There are, are many commands in Scripture that we see. We need to be aware of the sin of immorality and the sin of arrogance. We also need to remember that sin destroys our credibility. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. We proclaim that we have been transformed by the renewing of our minds and our hearts in this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Yet if we proclaim that, and then our neighbors and friends see us living our life in a different way, if you proclaim that and you tell your kids, do as I say, not as I do, 
What are they going to think? It's a joke, right? I mean, you, you, you can't tell me to live a way that you're not living. It, it destroys our credibility. In, in fact, it illegitimizes the message of the gospel. People look at us and think they're no different. They don't have a right to correct me, to disagree with me, to, to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Well, let me tell you this. If they are in the church, if they are a follower of Jesus Christ, we do have the right. We need to love each other enough to say, hey, look, this isn't right. And I know that's hard. It's hard to be the, re- to, to be the recipient of that. But we need people to tell us when we're off the beaten path. Actually, it's a pretty narrow road, isn't it? Sin destroys our our credibility. When we are dishonest, when we take what isn't ours, when we point fingers and call names, when we worship things instead of God, when we get drunk, when we live loose sexually, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. We have our marching orders. We have what God has commanded us and what he and how he wants us to live. We are to imitate Christ. Please, please, before you share or post something on Facebook, think about how these words and this picture and these statements will be perceived by people who are outside the church. I mean, it doesn't take me long. I, I'm, I'm not easily offended. It doesn't take me long to be disappointed. I mean, I, I, I apologize for this sound this morning. Uh, Satan's doing everything he can to destroy this. Sin destroys our credibility. So Paul very clearly points out the problem. So what, what I want to challenge you to in, uh, in this first part is to uh, contemplate surrendering your own life to Jesus Christ. Whether that be a first step of faith and surrender, or whether that be, look, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but, I, you know, search my heart, God. See if there be any wicked way in me, and, and, and help me to see that. And then let's be obedient and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit's discipline. Because, you see, in, in light of the problem of, of, of sin, we need to, number two, listen to needed discipline. No one likes to be disciplined. No one likes to be corrected. No one likes to get their hand slapped. No one likes to get a spanking. No one likes to be put in the corner. I may have made this up and my my mind might be fuzzy about this, but I remember in the first grade, and maybe somebody just talked about it or this actually happened to me. I wouldn't doubt that it actually happened to me. Um, The teacher uh, wrote a circle on the blackboard just high enough for me to be on my knees in front of the blackboard to put my nose in that circle and put two pieces of chalk on the floor to put my knees on while I held my nose in the circle. I got a spanking in school. More than one, actually. My ag teacher had a two-by-four that had holes in it and a handle, and it was painted blue. 
and gold, because those are FFA colors. And when he said, bend over and grab your ankles, it was not fun. But I'm telling you today, I'm no worse off today because I got some spankings in school. I'm probably better off today because I got some spankings in school. We all need discipline. I mean, it is necessary, and it, it really is for our own good. As hard as it is as a parent, and, and we shouldn't really say this out loud because it, it just, our kids look at us like we're nuts, but, you know, in some ways it is harder for us than it is on them, but, it is, but ultimately it's for their own good. And of course, as a kid, you're going, well, how does enduring pain, how is that for my own good? But think about your own life. We all need, pain is necessary. It's, it's necessary. It's necessary for our health. It's necessary for our strength. It's necessary for healing in some ways. And it's necessary for discipline. Paul's words here are words of protection. He, look in verse, there, there, are, there are seven words in verse 13 that sort of explains right here. Paul says, expel the wicked man from among you. What, what Paul is saying is, the church needs to be aware of this and you need to take action. Because of their influence, you shouldn't even associate with these people that are living this way. Because they may wear us down and convince us that their behavior is okay and we may, in fact, follow them in their behavior. Because there is nothing that we want more when we're doing something that we know that we shouldn't, but we want to, is to find other people who will say that's okay. To justify what we're doing. And then Paul says, here, and, and here's, again, here's the kicker for him, and they even boast about it. Okay, it's one thing to be struggling with a sin. And, and, and you feel guilty and you repent of it and you turn from it and, and you know, God gives you the strength and the power to say no to it and then maybe you trip up again later. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's, Paul's not talking about expel. Look, if, if Paul was talking about everybody that sins, we wouldn't all be sitting here this morning. Paul is talking about those who are sinning and they're, they're arrogant about it and that they're justifying it, and it's okay. In fact, we should all live this way. Paul says he is an apostle who is called by God to teach and lead, um, and lead the beginning of the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look there in verse 3. He says, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord is present, and as we see... In the life of Job in the Old Testament. Let's see, I skipped a bunch. Man, I'm going to have to. Let me back up just a second. Paul's words are words of protection. Like an alcoholic who is one year sober, willingly walking into a bar where the liquor is flowing, that would be a bad idea. I think that's why Paul is saying you need to put this person out of your fellowship. Um, for one, to get that influence away. For two, to help them see the devastation and, 
and how bad this is, that the, what this is that they're doing. And Paul says, look, I, I'm an apostle. I have an authority to say this. That's what he says in those next few verses. And then, look, in verse 5, and this has always baffled me, and I still wrestle with it, and I still struggle with it, but Paul says, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Okay, here's what I know about this statement. God has given and does give Satan free reign in certain cases with our physical bodies. We can read the book of Job and we can see that God gave Satan free reign to take away his health, to take away the things in his life that were material. But God never, ever, and will never tell Satan you can have their soul too. Once our name is written in the book of life, God will protect us, even if he has to take us out of this world, which is, I think, what he's saying here. And Paul's concern for them is their salvation. It always is. That's the point of being centered in Jesus Christ. The saving of our soul, our being reconciled to, uh, to God in Christ Jesus. For Christ, Paul says at the end of verse 5 right there, if you look at it, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Sin does not bring about an automatic physical punishment. It often brings a natural physical punishment or consequence. But we know that, be, but we know that it's not an automatic physical punishment. You know, sometimes I can think that way. Well, this bad thing is happening because I, I did this bad thing. God, I, I don't know the mind of God. I don't know how he works in all of that. Um, I do know that when Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, one of the disciples asked him, and it's up here on the screen, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They, they would say, well, there's got to be sin involved if there's some physical problem. And Jesus clears it up. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, it's not because of sin that there's this physical ailment, but then he says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Okay, in that instance, it wasn't, but I think it can be. However it happens, its purpose is to wake us up to the truth of our sin and cause us to turn away and turn back to Jesus Christ. Discipline. However God decides to do it is for our own good. Uh, It's also for the good of the community. In the last five verses of chapter 5, Paul clarifies who we are to disassociate with. Again, the sin he is confronting is in the church. It's not out there. It's in the church. I have written to you, verse 9, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. I mean, this is harsh. I mean, if somebody... If we weren't humble in somebody coming to us and saying, you, this is wrong, you need, you, you've got to stop this. Our tendency generally is to defend ourselves, right? To, uh, to point fingers and say, look, 
the church hates me because they're treating me this way. What we really need to be saying is, what am I doing? God, help me. Help me get right with you so that I can once again be right with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I, I, I personally, I tend to stay away from this because I don't want to go around saying, you can't be here, you can't be here, you can't be here. Because as soon as I start pointing my finger, I've got three others pointing back at me in some way, shape, or form. But again, Paul is being very clear here by saying it's, 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 it's the sin of immorality and it's the arrogance together. I would pray that we would continue to struggle along together in overcoming sin in our life and praying for each other and holding each other up and challenging each other and encouraging each other. And Paul goes on there to say, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Okay, Paul's being very clear here. Again, we like to point outside the church and say, look at all of that sin. You guys are terrible. You're going to hell. Paul says, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what this is about. This is about making ourselves right so that when we live in a world and in a culture that is making those decisions, they can see that there's another way. A way that gives life. A way to experience peace and love in our relationships. Expel the wicked man from among you. We are still to be salt and light to the world. We can't share the love of Jesus if we're holed up and we're not having conversations with people outside the church. But at the same time, let's leave the judgment of God, let's leave their judgment up to God, which is what Paul says. God will take care of it. Jesus outlined, and and Jesus actually gives us a process for this. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15, 16, and 17. If your brother, another Christ follower or sister, sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. He repents, asks for forgiveness. The relationship grows deeper and grows stronger. If, but if he will not listen, okay, then you're to take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This isn't so you can gang up on the person. It, it's so that when it turns into a he said, she said, um, there are others who can say this is what really happened in this conversation. Because you know yourself, I know myself, I can defend myself just as easily as the next guy and justify the things that I do. But if there are a couple others who say, hey, look, I mean, we're... Okay, then Jesus goes on to say, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And, if he, and, and I think, I don't think that means get on the stage on a Sunday morning and say, hey, everybody, this is going on in this person's life. I think that is the leadership of the church with the elders. Get them on board, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In a world full of love, and just let everybody do whatever they want, even in the church, that just is pretty harsh. But I think what it does is it shows us that God takes sin seriously. 
And, and maybe we have sort of swept some of it under the rug and said, you know, God forgives, and he does. But we have to be willing to confront that and deal with it in ourselves and with one another. The disciplinary action of disassociation is only after several attempts, again, as Jesus said, to restore the person. This isn't a, hey, I heard this, you're out of here. This is at the end of a long process of of attempts to restore a brother or a sister to Christ and to the fellowship. All right, so my, my final point this morning. God, that's just yucky stuff, isn't it? I just wrestled with this all week long. But we, be, we need to be aware of the things that we can just allow to exist in our life that God doesn't want there. And we need to realize that it's, this discipline is for our own good and it's for the good of the community. So my last point, point number three, is this. So so what do we do then? Um, What do we take from this incredibly scathing and confrontive part of Paul's letter, which doesn't stop, unfortunately, for a few chapters, as you will see. Please hang with us. Don't not come to church because you don't want to wrestle with 1 Corinthians. So what do we do? What do we take from this? I I think it's this. I think we need to stand on good convictions. We need to stand on good convictions. And and, uh, a good, a conviction is a firmly held belief. You know, I had somebody actually tell me that they believed they could go to a top of a building and they could drop a ball and if they believed enough, that ball wouldn't fall to the ground. They were dead serious. So here's the thing. There is what we think we believe and, and what we put our hopes and wishes on, and there's the truth of what we can believe in conviction, with conviction, that comes from the Word of God. And that's what I want to leave us with here this morning as we leave. First of all, convictions about the future. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. What God does in our life, that's part of the foundation. He, he's working that out. We can, we, can be, we can stand solidly on that. Philippians 1, 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Are you struggling in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you struggling with sin? Are you struggling in life right now? Well, you can have the conviction that Jesus Christ is not going to stop working until it's completed. I mean, that's good news to me. Conviction about the future. And in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are promised the power of the Holy Spirit. As a Christ follower, you have that power in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Let's lean on him. Let's let's leverage him in our life so that we can do what Paul is calling us to do. Sometimes the future is unknown and we don't know what we're stepping into. But you can have a conviction that God is never going to leave you. Jesus is never going to leave you nor forsake you. He promised that. You can take that to the bank. We also need to have convictions about the past. Because you may be sitting here this morning and 
you're looking back and maybe you're feeling kind of guilty because you've made some terrible decisions in your life. We all have. And you're thinking to yourself, well, he could never forgive me. He would never forgive that. It's, it's just been too prevalent in my life. You know what? That's wrong. That's wrong. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, all unrighteousness. Do you have sin in your life? Confess it. Repent it. Repent of it. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. And John says that he will forgive us. What did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? The Pharisees were going to stone her. They were going to kill her. Jesus said, all right, whoever's not sinned in this group, you throw the first stone. Well, okay. So they all leave, and Jesus said, where's your accusers? They've all gone. And then he looks at her, and he says, I don't condemn you either. In other words, I forgive you. But he didn't walk away in that moment. He finished it up with, go and sin no more. That's true repentance. We need to have convictions about our past. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We can stand on that. And we also need to have convictions about our present purity. This is, the, this is a big challenging one here, right? Husbands and wives, if you're a husband and wife and you're listening to this, stay away from situations where you are alone with someone from the opposite sex. You may think, well, that would never happen to me. I would never. Look, don't share emotional details about your life with someone of the opposite sex. You see, an affair doesn't start with sex. It starts with a conversation. That's where it starts. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Feel a little bit colder over here. A little bit colder over here. Well, of course you do. You're stepping away. Paul's words of awareness and warning are, are hard, yes. But necessary for our own good. If you're single and you're listening today, Heed the words of the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Yes, God is loving and full of grace. There isn't anything in your past he can't forgive you of and won't. Whether that be an affair, whether that be you know, adultery in some way, shape, or form, sex before marriage, a divorce, a broken relationship, words harshly said to someone else. God can take something that, that Satan has wielded and destroyed and he can make it into something good again. But he is also a fair judge and he hates sin. So keep the marriage bed pure. That means... That means making the decision to refrain from having sex before you're married, all of you single people, 
in this moment, today, in this room. The place to make that decision and, and to establish that conviction in your life is not in the back seat or the front seat of a car with someone of the opposite sex that you're alone with after midnight. You can't make that decision then. You see, Satan does everything that he can to get couples together before they're married, and he does everything he can to get couples to be apart after. We've got to fight that fight. We've got to fight that battle with Jesus Christ. You need, to, you need to draw the line in the sand today and say, I will not cross that line. It can be hard enough having that conviction to keep it when you make the decision here. But you need to. Our aim to have Jesus Christ at the center and to please him must be a priority. He will give us the strength to hold to that, to stand our ground. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 19, and 20 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. He doesn't describe other sins in a similar way. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. In Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Look, that's a process that doesn't instantly hand, happen when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. We, we put on that t-shirt in the first video that we saw the last four weeks that says Jesus on it. Jesus becomes the center of our life, but we still have this human physical body with all of these, these habits and all of these things that, that takes time. But we've got to be willing to allow God to do that work. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. For our own good and for the sake of the community, let's stand on our convictions. Let's love one another enough to say a hard word now and then. Convictions that have their foundation in the Word of God. That's important. We need to wrestle with this together with one another. What does that mean? What is God speaking to us? Because we need to be sure that what we're standing on is solid ground. Because we start, you know, pointing our fingers at one another or trying to help and love each other, follow Jesus Christ. And if we're not standing on solid ground... It's just not going to be good. We need to put death, we need to put to death sin. And I want to, as the worship team comes up, I want to end with this, uh, this verse right here. Philippians 4.8. And, and this, I, this is the verse, I have a different one for your memory verse, but I think I like this one. Because as much as we talk about sin, and it's, it's yucky, and it's, it's, it, it has yucky consequences in our life. It's ugly. 
But we need to heed the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's think about those things this week. You know, as we think about those things, the ugly stuff that's in our life will get exposed and we'll surrender it and repent of it and it becomes just a little bit easier for us to think of the good things. Lord God, thank you for this morning and thank you for the... Thank you for your word and even though it's hard and... And I can see, Lord, why pastors sometimes don't just preach through a book because they kind of get to pick and choose and they can avoid the really difficult, yucky things. But God, you have put us in 1 Corinthians for the summer and I pray that we would all hang together and hang with you because you want us as a church to be unified. You want us to love one another. You want us to, to uh, help each other stand strong and stand on what's right. And you also want us to be a light to our community, to those people that, that don't know you. Father, help us to navigate that. Those that we work with, those that we, that we play with, God, I, those that, that we're uh, in school together with, I pray that, you would, that would, you would help us to be convicted by the sin in our own life. Draw us to yourself. Discipline us as necessary. I, I pray that for myself. Maybe we would all pray that as individuals. God, do whatever means necessary to help me see the wickedness that's in my life that shouldn't be there. And may I not be arrogant and hold on to that, but repent of it, whatever it is, and walk with you, not the world. In Jesus' name, amen.